Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's post-game edition of the Lashing Out Podcast. I'm Kevin Quigley. He's Joe Smeltzer. Joe, Penn State played an FCS opponent, really highly ranked FCS opponent in Delaware last yesterday afternoon, and uh, it went just about as we'd expect it to. Yeah, um, it was, uh, you take kind of everything with a grain of salt because, as you said, it was Delaware, and it's not a team that was expected um, despite all the success at the FCS level, and it's had some success, uh, not expected to give Penn State any trouble, and it didn't. Um, I thought uh, James Franklin pretty much summed up the entire game uh, well in his post-game press conference, saying that um, all three phases uh, looked good, um, and also mentioned the things he didn't like. Uh, that 66-yard touchdown was really the only uh, glaringly bad thing that happened during the game. Uh Tyler Elson wasn't where he was supposed to be, and Delaware was able to take advantage. But um, aside from that, yeah, there were a few penalties after there weren't any penalties against West Virginia, one of them being a special teams um, offsides, I think it was, that turned a punt, punting situation into a first down. Uh, that has to be cl- cleaned up. But at the end of the day, seven uh, touchdowns in your first eight possessions, uh, that'll do it. That'll definitely, uh, that'll definitely play. So, yeah, it certainly does, and I, I think the most egregious play is the offsides. I think it was what fourth and one or fourth and inches. Delaware's in a punting situation, and you continued the drive. It's inexcusable against an FCS opponent when you're up five, six, seven touchdowns like they were. Um, I think that's the only bad spot. The Elston play, I, I. It is a mistake on his part. He kind of got sucked into the A-gap there, but I think it was just a victim victim of the defensive play called a victim of the for, of the formation. Penn State had six defensive players on the off, on the line, um, and Delaware's offensive line just got a win on that one play, and there was no over-the-top help. So the one, the one play that Penn State gave up, um, Delaware had 86 yards in the first half if you – take away the minus two yard kneel at the end of the game or at the end of the half. And uh, that leaves 20 yards of offense against a pretty good mix of starting defense. So 60, 37 was the final score. And um, Penn state looks about as a dominant as you would have liked them to see. But I do think they also made strides from, they focused on things that they wanted to focus on that they lacked last week. I definitely agree with that. Um, Big strides on the defense, especially. I think uh, getting those two turnovers are uh, granted. Um, those turnovers uh, happened in uh, after the game was already um, virtually over. Uh, but you definitely uh, want to see, um, especially in Manny Diaz's defense, which is as aggressive as it is, uh, you definitely want to see um, that, uh, getting the takeaways. And we didn't have any of that against West Virginia. And um, like the whole game, uh, whatever you do against Delaware is kind of taken uh, with a grain of salt. But um, at halftime, I tweeted, um, is it a concern that Penn State hasn't caused any turnovers yet? And they uh, ended up, Winston recovers the fumble early on. I think Keaton Ellis forced that fumble. And then Dom DeLuca had probably the most wholesome moment of the game with his uh, pick six later. So, uh, yeah, uh, the defense, I think, was probably the most improved aspect um, of the game. But um, as we're, as we've been talking about all three phases, I think were pretty solid and even the kicking game, there were no field goal attempts, but that also means there were no misses. So that's some good stuff too. Yeah. And 21 defensive players got a tackle. There were 31 tackles to be had yesterday. 
Franklin was rotating guys early, which I really like to see. It is it was an FCS opponent, obviously. So James Franklin had the opportunity to get young guys in there, get freshmen in there. Um, I forget, maybe it was King Mac was in there real early on a key third down and got the pass breakup to to stall a drive. And that's a guy who's a true freshman. So he was playing early in the game. James Franklin put him out there on a third and nine or whatever. An obvious passing situation and said, hey, man, if Johnny Dixon, you know, maybe rolls an ankle and it's third nine against Ohio State, we need to stop. We need you out there in that situation. You need to learn how to play that. And I think that's what that is the advantage of playing this a lesser opponent like this. And we can talk about should Penn State be playing teams like Delaware, but I, I Alabama plays Troy every year, which is a really low level FBS team. And I would say that's probably on par with the skill set of Delaware. It'd be a pretty damn close game if I if I had a guess, um, and I just think, I think that's the valuable experience that you get from these games. And if you're going to play nine Big Ten conference games a year, that's nine guaranteed D1 high level programs. And maybe the Big Ten is not the deepest conference out there, but no conference really is out there deep. So you're getting three, four, five quality games a year against high level D1 programs. You need a preseason game, and this this definitely served as one of them. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned King Mac. He was one of the highest uh, highest rated recruits Penn State got in its 2023 class. Um, another guy who made an impression uh, was uh, Jamil Lyons, uh, getting that a pretty emphatic sack of Delaware's quarterback uh, late in the third quarter. Again, this happened when everything was already uh, wrapped up. But um, something interesting, I think, about Mac and Lyons probably being the two true freshman that people talked about the most coming out of the Delaware game was that these guys did not show up on Penn State's campus until the summer. So they didn't have any spring ball, no winter conditioning, no blue-white game, none of that. And it appears both of them were already making great strides. I'm a few days before uh, we had denied Dennis Sutton on Zoom, and he was asked, I think it was Daniel Gallon of 24-7 Sports, uh, asked him uh, about uh, Jamel Lyons. And Sutton said he's a freshman that uh, wants to play and is upset that he's not playing, but he uses that frustration to his advantage, uses it to get better on the field. So that's um, a pretty encouraging uh, words from one of his teammates. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, both of those guys um, showed promise, and the fact that they were both summer arrivals and not winter arrivals um, is uh, even more promising because they, had, they were behind in a sense since Penn State does get a lot of uh, – early enrollees so yeah and freshmen coming in especially trying to break in on the defensive end position Penn State has six guys that they can rotate who were already on the team last year and have been there for several years now so that's got to be the harder position to break through and the fact that he's making an impact in his limited opportunities it's just going to get him on the field faster or just get him into the rotation maybe but maybe he becomes that seventh guy and you know he might he might get eight, 10 snaps a game later in the season, but that's valuable experience going into the next, into the next season. So, uh, some more promising analysis will come, uh, from us on the second segment of the lashing out podcast on the sports now network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. Joe, we went heavy on the defense in the first segment, but Penn State did put up 63 points on offense, or 
put up 63 points yesterday. 56 of them coming on offense. Yeah, and uh, they did it with uh, a very basic uh, game plan, right? Uh, run Nick Singleton, uh, run Catron Allen, and, and occasionally, I don't really like it. They did this, especially against Delaware, but I guess Drew Auer did okay on his design runs, but again, I don't want to be seeing any design runs um, much at all this season, let alone against an SCS team, and Drew did take a shot um, on one of those runs uh, that ended up not leading to anything uh to anything negative but at the same time uh that's just not a risk worth taking uh but anyway uh yeah Catron Allen over 100 yards Nick Singleton three touchdowns uh first time he ever had the hat trick in his Penn State career uh that's that's pretty good uh that's how uh Penn State went 11 and 2 last year basically was riding those two guys and they probably won't see that as much uh because uh Drew Aller is well we've said a lot about Drew Hour and he's living up to that so far. And if he keeps doing that, uh, they'll be passing the ball and slinging it more often than they were um, last season with a uh, new Green Bay Packer, Sean Clifford uh, under the helm. Uh, but um, a few things with the offense, I mentioned uh, the design QB runs. I didn't like, I also, even though this play worked, um, why were they calling a flea flicker against Delaware? Like, I'm not really a big proponent of, oh, you should hide your playbook uh, and save it for big games. I don't believe uh, that's too uh, big of a thing. But at the same time, uh, there's really no reason to be fooling around with stuff like that in the game that you're going to win. I don't really um, – I get uh, wanting to let the kids have fun. Uh, they practice all week for it, uh, but just not necessary. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, as we talked about, seven touchdowns on the first eight possessions, um, only one punt um, in that time. No turnovers. Uh, yeah, it was Delaware, but it was also pretty impressive. Yeah, it was. And Drew Aller, probably, I'm not going to try to speak in hyperbole, but it's going to very much sound like hyperbole. He has one of the most gifted arms in college football. Like, the arm strength that he possesses is NFL-ready already. And I'm I'm not trying to just hype him up because he is Penn State's quarterback. I mean, it's you just see it on the field. He's making throws, and what is his first start against West Virginia? It's just like, holy shit! Kenny Pickett was not making those throws today for the Steelers. I can tell you that. Um, and that's the starting quarterback in the NFL. So they showed against West Virginia, we can sling the ball 50, 60, 50 times, whatever it was, against West Virginia, and we can beat you through the air because we've got six, eight receivers. Who can burn you every play? That's no problem. Get against Delaware. Let's run the ball. They ran the ball 60 times yesterday for 315 yards and averaged 5.3 yards a carry with the longest on the ground being 20 yards. I mean, that's just consistent pounding of the football right down Delaware's throat. Yeah, it's an FCS opponent. Yeah, they were running, what, a 3-5-5? No, that's not 11. 3-3-5? 3-3-5 adds up to 11. There you go. Um that's probably a defense you can run against when they have five defensive backs on the field and not four four defensive linemen. Um, but prove that you can do it. Get your offensive line working well in the blocking schemes that they wanted to, that they're going to use later. And then, yeah, I didn't like the Drew Aller design runs, but I like the ripple, right? They showed trips all last week against West Virginia. All it was was pass, 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 screen, screen, screen. I think maybe they had like one little hitch route out of it. 
they showed that Drew Aller can run run the QB draw on it. It makes defenses they can't shift that linebacker out to help with the trips on the one side, right? They have to now respect Drew Aller's ability to run, or maybe it becomes a singleton draw or a Katron Allen draw. So I think it kind of was a necessary ripple, and you could maybe take the risk of Drew Aller taking a couple hits against an FCS opponent where the guys, I mean, they're D1 college athletes, but they're not quite as big as strong as the defensive line of Ohio State and, and Michigan. It's a, I think it was a calculated risk to show we do have intention to run out of this formation, so don't just sell out for it. I think it's setting up for next week against Illinois and beyond. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And uh, one guy you mentioned the receivers, I liked um, that Amari Evans uh, was in there in the second half. I think that kind of shows that um, he is not just good enough to play. He's probably close to 100%, right, if you're throwing him in there in the second half against Delaware. Um, he's the guy that we still haven't seen much of. Uh, you mentioned, uh, Kevin, in our WVU recap, uh, that he's a guy that could be Penn State's uh, slot guy, um, which uh, that remains to be seen. Uh, but he's, yeah, he he was one of the people on the uh, Earl Campbell on the word list uh, for players from Texas. So um, he has the potential to do some big things. And we should talk about uh, Bo uh, Prabula because uh, he – was impressive. I don't think he really passed the ball as much as maybe he could have, but Penn State's in a tough situation there because if you're throwing the ball up by 50, well, we saw what that ended up creating uh, with uh, West Virginia and Neil Brown. But um, I would like to see uh, Bo uh, get more of his arm strength. But overall, uh, it's hard to complain too much about his usage when he was in there early in, early-ish in the third quarter, I think a little more than the midway point. Uh, he got to play with the ones, uh, and he threw enough to throw his first college touchdown pass, and he showed what he could do with his legs, too. So uh, more good stuff uh, from Bo, and uh, we'll have to see if they're going to work him into this offense in games that aren't blowouts um, in a Will Levis-Tommy Stevens-type role. Uh, it's something I'll believe when I see, because this Penn State offense has so many weapons that it feels like adding something like that really is unnecessary because at the end of the day, if you're if you have third and two from the five, um, or third and goal from the four or whatever, uh, you probably rather have Catron Allen getting the ball and Bo Prabula, right? Uh, but at the same time, they've been talking about it. Uh, James Franklin specifically has been talking about it, and the more they're talking about it, uh, the more open the possibility is, I guess of Bo uh, being uh, having a role in this offense, despite not being the starting quarterback. Yeah. And I think you have to talk about it to get defense, to get teams thinking about it. And then you have to do it right. You have to show that second and goal from the seven. I'm not afraid to throw Bo, Bo Perbula out there as a slot receiver and get the defense thinking that guy's an athlete. He does remind me of Trace McSorley. I don't know. On TV, he really looks like Trace inside his helmet wearing the number nine. It's kind Obviously, of, yeah. it's, it just it just screams like in my brain I cannot get Trace McSorley out of my head, but that's the way he plays. And like Trace was a gamer, and I bet Tommy Stevens was too. He's kind of in between the size of Trace and Tommy, but the lion formation could definitely come out. And you want to show it just so teams have to prepare for it. The more ripples you add, the more formations, the more play calls that you put on film, the more teams have to prepare for it. It that only helps you. And this team, like you said, has so many position players, so many skill players that they can just 
they can throw them all at you. It's it's kind of what Ohio State's had, you know. They maybe don't have three number one first round wide receivers on the roster like Ohio State usually does or Alabama usually does. But they're three pretty damn good receivers. Two first round running backs. And we haven't mentioned them yet. They actually got the tight ends involved this week. Tyler Warren had one catch last week for eight yards. Theo Johnson, I don't even think, had a target last week. Uh, They combined for eight catches and 51 yards. That's an improvement. I think Khalil Dinkins got one target from Bo Pabula, but Bo only threw it five times. So I I think that was a big step. I wanted them to focus on running, and I wanted them to focus on getting the tight ends involved. And I think they did both of those things really well. And then they also, last thing I want to say is, they also got offensive line depth in there. Um, Javen Williams got in there. Ola Ion, Anthony Donko. I mean, just those were, that was the last bit of offensive line that was put in. And then Drew Shelton was getting time at left tackle. He's not a left tackle. He's getting time over there. JB Nelson was playing all over the place. Um, names uh, Nick Dawkins was playing center. He didn't start at center. So, they got 8, 10, 12 guys in an offensive line, too, which is only going to help them. Olu only had to play like two quarters today. I don't even think he came. I think he played the first drive of the second half. Yeah, and uh, James mentioned post game that he, he's interested in seeing uh, what Olu's uh, snap count was. I'll, I'll have to look that up myself. Uh, my pro football focus uh, information is kind of messed up. I'm trying to find a way to get back in, but... Uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, offensive line depth um was a huge uh, showcase, and that's probably uh the position where your most um where depth is the most useful. I'd argue, especially with Penn State's history. Remember last season, uh, you had your starting left guard hurt himself in warmups and not play the rest of the year. You have Hunter Norzad there to step back in, and now he's your starting center. Uh, you also had one of the best left tackles in college football go down, miss five games, and you throw a true freshman who they openly said they had hoped to redshirt, throw him out there. He ends up starting the last five games and ends up uh, sp- helping uh, throw a block that leads to Nick Singleton's big run in the Rose Bowl. So um, they they they're, they're going to need uh, they're going to need more than just a starting five offensive lineman. We already unfortunately uh have an example of that with landon uh Tangwall's unfortunate medical retirement and um logic kind of dictates that uh somebody and i hate to i'm not gonna speculate who but just somebody is gonna have uh, as in coach speak bumps and bruises is gonna have something where they'll have to miss a game that's just the likelihood of it it's very hard to play with the same combination alignment all year and i think if penn state's in that situation where they need somebody to step up We've seen that there's guys that are more than capable of doing that. We saw that last year, and I think I like the way J.B. Nelson looked against WVU. I like how Nick Dawkins has been playing both guard and center. Uh, we, I think Penn State has the guys to step up if they're in a 2022-esque situation at the O-line. Yeah, they certainly are, and they, they have a lot to prove in 2023. Are they going to be that good of a unit? Because this team is going to go as far as the offensive line can protect them. But we'll get to some other teams that have some promise on this college football season in the third and final segment of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Last Account Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin. He's Joe. Joe, some big games in college football yesterday. Most notably, Texas upsetting Alabama and really controlling the game that whole time. What other games stood out to you? I got to talk about Coach Prime. Um, uh, A lot of people are kind of sick of hearing about Deion Sanders, but the more Colorado wins and the more they look good doing it, uh, the more they're going to hear about him. And Colorado's already, I believe, they have a big noon game um, against Colorado State uh, for next week. Uh, And that makes sense on Fox's end because people want to watch Deion. People want to talk about Deion. And uh, the fact that they're 2-0 and and have won in – impressive fashion in both games i know is tcu the national championship runner up again no but getting a win when you're a 20 point underdog is always an impressive thing no matter how you do it nebraska is not a good football team i think we've seen enough in the first two games to kind of prove that but uh colorado took care of nebraska one by three touchdowns that's always impressive to do against a power five opponent storming the field was a little excessive but i kind of understand it because that program has had absolutely nothing, and now they have something. So why not celebrate that win? I, I looked on Google. I think that's a Colorado tradition. They stormed the field their first home win of the year. I I, I thought the same thing. I was like, man, we're storming the field against winning win, after winning against Nebraska. I do believe that is a tradition at Colorado. Don't quote me on that. But there are a, there were a uh, few well, articles referencing that. Yeah, if that's the case, that's just stupid. There shouldn't be like a, a set game to storm the field. It should be organic. It should be something that just happens. It should not be planned out. I don't like that. Hey, we're one so. and six now. Let's go. Let's go storm the field. Um, yeah. And I, I know I know you're a Clemson guy, and they they're probably the worst. So yeah, they storm the field. They storm the field after every game. Um, I, I'm not a Clemson guy. I just happen to go there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Dion is a great story for college football. Uh, there were some people talking about like, oh, Dion used the transfer portal to this ex- to this amount of success. Will the NCAA crack down on it just because Dion was successful doing it? Uh, no, the transfer portal is limited by total number of scholarships. There's going to be no further restrictions on it. If you have 80 scholarships to hand out, you can go and recruit 80 guys. It's simple as that. I I don't think NCAA is going to do anything like that. Uh, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Nebraska is not a great football team. Borderline terrible. Kind of weird that Vegas had the game at minus two and a half. Uh, just as big of a whiff of we'll bring it back, the Steelers and 49ers game today. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what Prime does this year. I am just tempering expectations because they've played two borderline bottom dwelling programs for this year. Nebby hung in there for a while. I don't think Sims is. I think he has a lot of room for improvement. A um, couple big turnovers that just led to short fields for Colorado. So interested to see how their season shapes out. I'm not hating on Dion in any way. Please don't take it that way. Um, I'm just interested to see how it goes. Uh, let's see. Illinois lost to Kansas at Kansas to, uh, yesterday. Michigan handled UNLV, but no problem. Um, Ohio State was tied with Youngstown State there for a bit. Any other games for you? Um, I fell asleep during it. Did Cal end up beating uh, Auburn? Uh, Auburn won fourteen to ten. Uh, Carolina uh, App State App State pushed Carolina to OT again. I think for the second state in a, second year in a row. Um, Oregon 
was trailing late and had an epic comeback. I think that's going to be Colorado's first test of the test of the season. Um, Colorado, uh, Oregon, a little bit of a shaky start. Ole Miss getting past Tulane, but Tulane didn't have their starting quarterback. Um, Miami just trouncing Texas A&M 48 to 33, the dominant 17 point fourth quarter. And then we, we do got to talk about him. Clemson. It was tight there for a bit. I think it was 17, 17, getting close to the halftime. Clemson had two key turnovers. One was a fumble recovery to the one yard line for Charleston Southern. And then there was a pick six thrown by Cade Clubnick, but they got that thing rolling in the second half. I think Charleston Southern had like four first downs the entire game. So, um, We'll see how that goes. And then just to hit the rankings, Georgia's still number one, Michigan number two, Florida State rightfully is number three. Texas jumping Penn State definitely should have. They're, they are the number four team in the country at this point in time. Interesting is going to be how does the Texas-USC ranking shake out, shape out once uh, USC starts getting into the meat and potatoes of their schedule. But I think right now that per, the top five is correct. Ohio State, Penn State, 6-7. I don't know if Ohio State's been that impressive. I I don't think McCord is is doing the things that he needs to be doing as Ohio State gets into yeah, their I think, potatoes of their schedule. My take on that is Penn State's probably been better for two games, but and we could talk about uh, preseason rankings and if they're good, if they should even be there. But based on the preseason rankings, with both teams being two and zero, and Ohio State being I think four spots ahead of Penn State in the preseason. Has the gap been that wide to where Penn State should be ahead of them? Uh, no, I don't really think so. So I think Ohio State being one spot ahead of Penn State is probably makes sense. Another ranked team, Utah, had a controversial no call on a on a fourth down play. Um, Baylor had a chance to catch a touchdown, and as time was expiring, uh, Utah definitely had some defensive pass interference there uh, that was not called. Uh, Clemson did fall out of the rankings. Interestingly enough, Iowa sneaks in at 25. So Iowa, I believe, plays Central Michigan next week. Uh, excuse me, Western Michigan. Got my wrong direction there. Um, they do that. That means it's a ranked game, night game in, in Beaver Stadium in two weeks from now. So some promising stuff. North Carolina did, did fall, and Colorado's up seven spots to number 18. Yeah. Uh I I still I don't I think Colorado being ranked is a little silly, but um I think from a business standpoint it makes sense because uh, I don't know the whole thought process that goes into these AP rankings, but um people are gonna wanna watch Dion regardless, but they're gonna wanna watch him more and it's gonna be more fun to write about him and cover him, I think, if they're in the top twenty five. So uh they'll probably be out of top 25 um at some point i don't expect them to be there at the end uh but um yeah i understand uh why they're uh ranked i personally will not rank them but as we talked about it's been a pretty good story up in boulder i i think that they should be ranked i mean it's it's week two who's had more hype um and if you're in the ap poll and you're kind of in the pockets of the people with tv deals and the tv executives uh, having Colorado as a ranked team, the ad revenue it's going to make it's going to help those TV contracts pay themselves off. So, not saying that they don't de- deserve to be ranked, but there's some business aspects to keeping Colorado ranked. I think Colorado has at least three losses. They go at Oregon, home against USC, and then they finish on the road at Utah. 
Um, if Utah gets Cam rising back and they look anything like they did last year, it is going to be a very tough matchup for them. So I think they sneak back in. I think they probably finish around 18th to 20th in the country, best case scenario. Um, if they beat one of those, if they beat one of those three programs, then they have two losses and they're probably a little bit higher. But I, I think they end up about three losses this year. Unless, unless there's a like a just a mammoth college football game going on that same USC weekend, you got to think game day is going to be in Boulder for that, right? Yeah, that would be uh, reigning Heisman Trophy winner against probably two top Heisman Trophy candidates for this for this year, and that's going to be I think in three weeks, three weeks yeah, time. So. It, Colorado's probably going to lose to Oregon, but I don't think that really matters as far as game day goes. That nah, game day is still going to want to be there. Uh, that would be uh, September 30th uh, at home against USC. And Colorado getting game day would be massive for that program. And just a testament oh, yeah. to how good, how how marketable Dion is. I, I may not like the way he approaches things with the media, but, and I say that as a very low level member of the media, uh, <laughs> more as a fan aspect. <laughs> of my fan aspect of how he treats the the media members that he deals with is not quite my uh my cup of tea he, he called out ed uh he called out ed Werder, i think it was for not, not believing in colorado and i forget who tweeted it but somebody wrote that they don't like ed Werder has like not written anything about colorado so yeah he's a victim of being employed by espn i think he was ed Werder was on the dan patrick show this past week and he was like man i've wrote nothing i'm a tv guy now and uh <laughs> Dan Dan Patrick was like, "Yeah, it's, you're just a victim of being on ESPN, uh, and ESPN being somewhat critical of Dion over the course of the year." So, um, I don't know if Dion actually has beef with these guys. I just think he's uh, a showman. I think that's probably most of it. Yeah, it's it's all for show. So, um, Miami jumped in the ratings. Washington State, UCLA, kind of round up your top twenty. Duke is Duke is. I think that's the that's the team to watch in the ACC. Uh, this year behind FSU. I don't know. If, I think Clemson and Duke are going to be vying for that number two spot against FSU. So um, I think that's all we got for this week. We will catch you with an Illinois preview uh, should be coming out on schedule, which would be Thursday morning uh, for everybody listening. I am traveling this week, so it might be a little bit diff- difficult on the recording side of things, but uh, we'll do our best to get it out on Thursday morning. Uh, if you listen this far, thank you so much. Like, subscribe, rate, review us on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, wherever you may find us. And uh, have a good week. We'll catch you again next time on the Lashing Out Podcast, the Disney Sports Now Network. <laughs>